Welcome to the Minimalist CEO Podcast with Nate Lindquist. Nate created the Minimalist CEO Method to help business owners redefine and grow their businesses by finding new demand in places they never thought to look where there's no competition. By following his opposite thinking strategy, Nate's coaching clients have grown their business up to 40% in just two months and created tens of millions of dollars in revenue. Nate himself has launched more than 140 businesses. On the show, Nate interviews successful business owners and experts who share the secrets you can use to have a better business and a better life. Hey, this is Nate Lindquist with the Minimalist CEO Podcast, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. This guy has done a lot, and I think we're going to learn more from him. I'm not even going to say, you've heard the intro already, but in brief, you're about to hear from a guy who understands real estate, understands properties, understands construction management. If I went down the list, that'd be half the podcast. So we got a smart dude on the phone. Uh, I want to introduce you to Brandon Hurd, the, the founder and managing director of BHRS Companies. Brandon, thanks for being on the Minimal CEO podcast. I'm pumped to have you here. I really appreciate that. Appreciate you having me and the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we got you on the podcast. The theme here of the Minimal CEO podcast, it comes down to focusing on what's essential we keep the interviews relatively short because we want to get right to the meat and potatoes. So uh, we talk about what you can cut away. We like to look at those little moments of truth where you're like, I have to make a choice. I have to make a decision. How do I focus on what's essential? You'll hear me talk about adding something to your business, your products or service, editing something or enhancing it or deleting it. Because you know, a lot of times there's silver bullets, there's band-aids, there's symptomatic issues in business. And I mean, you've had enough success so far to know where, you, where you've come across those situations. So Brandon, if you could just tell us and our audience about you, you know, how you got started in business and uh, so they get to know you a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Again, thanks for having me. I think uh, and appreciate the opportunity to be here, particularly with your minimalist CEO, because really BHRS Companies was started, no outside investment wasn't started with anything other than uh, literally a personal savings account. And most recently was just recognized by Inc. 5000 as the number 161 fastest growing company in North America as ranked uh, in 2020. So that's a big deal. Yeah, it's been a lot of growing pains with fast growth. Uh, and the alignment here, I think, with your model, too, is just how to do more with less. Um, you know, so our, our business is, you know, still proud of this day, no outside investment. We just started with very simple deals. We've started with understanding our product, understanding our service, and understanding our customers. And I like to say the old adage of not biting off more than we can chew. And there's been a lot of tempting opportunities and deals out there over the years, but we try to stay disciplined and stay along with our strategic growth plan to make sure that we can have the success over time. So over this time, our deals have become more complex. Our customers have become you know, very trusting of us. We've become very trusting of them. So we're eager and opportunistic to explore new opportunities and revenue streams. Uh, but it's been great. I mean, it's just been a lot of organic growth, I think, has been our theme and just staying disciplined with the strategic growth model that I put in place. So Brandon, if you could take us back through the journey, I mean, you know, you're in your 30s. So I'm giving that away. I'll tell everyone I'm in my mid 40s, <laughs> probably say that for the next 15, 20 years. But um, you've been on a journey. And you started with, you know, you, you self-invested, you bootstrapped it, you made a business happen. Take us on that journey a little bit from starting the business. So what was, you know, for me, I'll, I like to share the story. Like I started as a freaking cartoonist. 
Yeah. And I was like, Ooh, I probably want to be, you know, people would ask me for revisions. And then eventually I wanted more business and I had to attach purpose, sprinkle a little purpose into it. And I was like, Oh, I guess I'll be a designer. Oh, I'll do a graphic design. So, you know, and I, without going into my story, I'd like to know, I mean, I think we all try to grab the bulls by the horn and we say, I'm going to be in business. I want to be my own boss. Mm-hmm. What was your dream? I want to be everything from an astronaut to an engineer to everything in between. Uh, my family, actually, the, the, the family joke is that uh, Brandon does not like physical labor. And uh, I like to, uh, you know, I, I learned quickly to make mouth, make money and living with my mouth. And starting in the summertime, that was, my family's been in development and construction business for 70 plus years. If I had to swing a hammer and any reason I could find not to go to work, I would get out of it. So that's always been a joke. So I got into real estate in the mid-2000s. Lucky me, uh, was I became a broker back in 06 in the state of Florida. We all know what happened to real estate, particularly in Florida during the Great Recession. Welcome. Those are very hard times. Um, so I did a little odds and end jobs, but ultimately um, back in around uh, late 2000s, I got into an enterprise construction company. Just kind of couldn't stay away. Got into sales aspect, business development. That led me into a more regional role. And I quickly rose through the corporate ranks from, from sales, business development, and made a lot of good relationships, but coming from the small business, you know, a single person entrepreneur, family business, to seeing the discipline and the approach of uh, a global enterprise, one of the best and brightest in, in, the, in that perspective industry, taught me a lot of the things it takes to be successful. So uh, my naivety was back in 2014, when I started this journey, I jumped, made the leap of faith. I liken it to, uh, leaping off the bridge of an aircraft carrier and not quite knowing how far down the fall was until you just kept going and going and going. Now, without having the team of all the support team, the flight crew, the operations, the the guys who are getting the engine room going and all those hands to make the business successful to keep this big ship going was very eye-opening and insightful that I got to throw and catch my own passes now. So that was uh, an interesting journey kind of starting with, um, I guess, uh, confidence, maybe a little overconfidence looking back. You made the break. You went into corporate. You went into corporate America. You, you rose to the ranks, you said, of corporate America. What business were you in then? Uh, we, were, we were specifically in modular construction. So we were doing construction and modular delivery methods at the time. So you learned a ton during that process. You probably spent a lot of time uh, working with different people, understanding personalities, probably yep. noticing like I could do some of this stuff better if I had my own business, which is sort of the journey that I think entrepreneur an entrepreneur goes through. And, and then when, when you made the break, how did you make the break and start your business that you have now? Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's, that's my path is, is identical to that. It got to a point where I just felt really confident that I could, you know, for me, I think more was along the lines of, I wanted to service my customers. I come from a very servant leadership mindset. I was wanting to help people wanted to do things. And with that organic growth and everything else came organically. But I felt that um, as my career was going that I could do these things better on my own with, with more efficiency, more delivery, more intent, more of a personalized approach that sometimes you just can't get a big business. So I literally one day talked with my, uh, my wife and said, I think I'm making the jump. She said I was crazy. And I thought about it. And after about another three months went by, I said, I'm still thinking about it. I feel confident. There's much of the courage. Just did it. How many years ago when you, when you opened up the uh, company that you have now? We're our seventh year of business now. Okay. So you made the leap, you took money out of savings, you self-funded it. And now you have a business, you get all these different specialties. It looks like your company comprises three different divisions. Is that right? 
That's correct. We so, have three uh, complementary divisions in the same, all around buildings and, and physical assets and tangible assets, anything from servicing. So we look at built, so my, my real estate and construction background kind of comes together in this sense that we really help clients everything from, again, the realty services all the way through construction management contracting. After we built it, we now do post-construction maintenance, facility maintenance, kind of taking care of the assets that we built property management. So property ma okay. I was going to ask you to do the property. So, so you get your hands in everything in the property space. I, what I've noticed and, I, and I've heard from a lot of people in the, you know, the construction space is it starts to get overwhelming. You're trying to find the right help. You're trying to find the right talent and um, you know, it can get overwhelming and you can find yourself maybe lots of things falling back on your shoulders. I know you're not a guy who's going to go back out and get your hands in the dirt because I've avoided that my whole life. <laughs> yeah. You've avoided that your whole life. So, you know, you went out into construction, you went out into manufacturing, you went out into property services. How do you manage all that? I mean, you're one guy who decided to start a business. Now you've been doing it seven years. How do you overcome the hurdles of having the right people, getting the right systems in place and, and not having it all fall back on you? I mean, there's a lot of promises that you got to make with that sure. going on. Absolutely. So hands down, I've got a fantastic team that we have built and developed over the last, uh, again, seven years. Um, I like to think that our team and our bench is pretty stacked uh, right now, and it's taken some time to get that. You know, there's a lot of relationships that I've cultivated just in my life and over my career professionally, and also a lot of good friends and mentors that have helped me get here. So putting the right team together has been the most critical part of this uh, to keep going on this success. And, you know, we live on, I live on four core values within our team that we try to practice every single day and every decision that we do. They focus on excellence, excellence, uh, empowerment, accountability, and collaboration. Those are the four things that, you know, if you don't have those four things in an entrepreneurial mindset, you're, you're probably not going to fit well on our team. I love that you whittled the core values down to four. How did that help you? I mean, I've looked back to teams that I've built in the different companies that I helped to oversee as a contract CEO advisor and also uh, as a mentor. And I, you know, I look at sometimes I'm like, wow, this is a great team. Early in the game, I used to feel like, wow, I got lucky. Yeah. Eventually, I had to have those moments where I was like, I have to have a process for this so I can make sure I get the world-class people, only yep. superstars in certain roles. And I had to go back and figure out what's my recruiting process? How do I get the right people? Did you come up with a process that you now understand that you can use as you grow and scale? for finding, recruiting the right people and making sure that you actually can maintain and grow a dream team? Yeah, so I've, I've always been an athlete and I've always, two things. One is the fake until you make it kind of mindset. And knowing that I wanted to build a world-class world organization, I didn't have the world-class resources. So coming from nothing, you really have to exemplify in all of your behavior and create a brand not only for yourself, but a brand for your company and your team and a reputation. And let's face it, as a startup, you are the face. You are, again, you're throwing, catching your own passes and everything falls on you. And you look at what I call, you know, the, the old saying of true north, where are we going? And when you look at the decisions that have to be made every single day from, again, HR recruiting, like you're talking about, to, to do I take this deal? Does deal make sense? Legal risk, all those noise that comes into business. Um, I try to whittle it down to the four things that am I doing the right thing that's aligned with our mission? And by leading by example, you start to, I started get, garnering attention from other people who were watching me, some who believed in me, some who said I couldn't make it. 
But then all of a sudden, as you start making it, some of those haters start shaking off and say, hey, I see what you're doing here. I want to be part of it. So that was really nice and refreshing when the, the tone started changing about year two, year three, started getting out of that startup phase. And now we can start recruiting people. And that was the biggest identifier was, you know, do you have these four things? Those are the four things I'm really listening for, because, you know, two of mine are empowerment and accountability. And I always say with great power comes great responsibility. I not a micromanager. I'm very performance based leadership and servant leadership. I'll give you what you need to do your job. But these are the expectations. And I'll allow you to make decisions. We encourage you to, to, to maybe make mistakes or uh, learn from that. We're a learning organization, but I also expect the accountability piece that if they're good, bad, or different, let's learn from them so we can either make them again the same way or make different ones moving forward. So getting that world-class team that embraces that has been and continues to be still the number one, I think, value and, and also opportunity for the company. We've gotten really lucky and, and a good team right now. Yeah, you've done a good job of putting that team together. Seven years in business, that's some good staying power, I think, during a challenging time. And it sounds like you're still growing. You know, you're, you're top on the list for uh, fastest growing companies, which is great. So one thing that I hear a lot, and I'd be curious what your take is on this. You know, you obviously have the process, you have the values, but I think that there's been an overcomplication. You might notice that's a theme with me. I don't like it when things are unnecessarily complicated to impress. There's a lot of groups and consultants talking about recruiting strategy, about personality testing, about you know hiring systems and scaling systems. One of the basic principles that I have coached, mentored, and adhered to also in my businesses is um, you're looking for that intrinsic motivation. You get clear on skill sets, and then you have at least three interviews to notice the patterns of behavior. Yep of the person that you're interviewing. And I noticed one big thing, one big mistake is don't sell the job. Yeah, yeah. Share the vision, see if those visions are in alignment, at least tangent for a period of time and find out where this person wants to be five years from now. And I feel like once you start to look at those and bring those ingredients together, uh, it's less about liking the person. Yep. As a matter of fact, it's really not about that. It's more about for sure understanding the values, but I think that I think it's pretty basic to give someone enough rope, enough opportunity to demonstrate that they're not a match. And I found out that you can pretty much do that within three interviews. If you yeah. give them enough room to share what's important, share what they don't want to do, and then find out what motivates them from their own words and from their, again, from patterns over three interviews. So I found that to be more important than these complicated personality tests and these big expensive consulting programs that I think are brilliant and can have some value for sure, but I'm a minimalist CEO. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's a time and place for those things, but yeah. not always is the minimalist mindset um, a good fit. Yeah. So from that bent, if you look at your hiring early in the game, let's say go back to year one and two, you had to get team members, even though you were throwing in catching the passes. How did you come up with the money to hire full-time people or did you have another strategy? Did you work with virtual team members? Did you work with contractors? How did you find a way to put people on the team, noticing that you had to come up with some dough, some dollars to, to get those people? Yeah, so luckily I didn't have to throw and catch my own passes for too long. Um, but having the intricate knowledge and intimate knowledge of how to run this business, the business I know well, it didn't take long, but it was that organic growth and it was getting that first team member. And it was getting them, just as you said, it wasn't personality testing. It wasn't my best friend. It wasn't anything more than 
this is using your network and your relationships and starting where you stand, I think, and looking around and who do I know that's qualified, whether it's a former colleague or friend of a colleague or somewhere in my network I look to. And as I started talking about the mission, the vision, where we're going, I started looking at whose head was popping up and who was whose attention I was catching. And as their attention was grabbed, you realize that these people believe in the mission, believe in the vision, they want to go on for the ride. Quickly along that point that I realized that my job now shifts from, again, not selling the job. The job is the job. And the easiest part about construction is the hammer and nails. That's, mm-hmm. But it's about getting the team, the coordination, the, the working togetherness uh, to get a job done in the time, in the budget, all, all the things that we have to do it. And having somebody please say, where's the next one? When can I do it again? So my job then became shifting more from, you know, the sales and all that stuff, that's still inherently part of the job, to developing this person and saying, where do you want to be? Where do you see yourself going next? Mm. And my job really those first years was focused on, and still remains to this day, developing people and recruiting people that I know that I can help. So you talked about looking at your network, you know, um, you talked about looking at people, you know, having conversations, telling people what you were looking for, who you were looking for, what role you're looking to fill. And then you said, start where you stand. So could you expand on what you mean by that? Yeah. So you brought up a good, a good situation there. You're brand new. You don't have any money. Well, you got a contract in your hand. But one of the things about most contracts is you have to do something, at least in my business, to bill it. There's no deposits. There's no early. We'll advance you money on this. You get to bill when the work is complete. So here you are. I need a team to do these things. You go on Indeed. You go a zip recruiter, a recruiting office, what have you. Well, it takes money. It's pay to play, right? Mm. But that's one thing I don't have at this time in the game is I don't have financial resource necessarily. So you got to find where you can, whether it's, again, a savings account, a contract, some kind of leverage, if you will, get creative and resourceful and put those pieces together with what you have. And did you get some of the people who you hired to share some of the risk with you so that, you know, kind of have that conversation like, listen, I can get you started on this where this is early in the game, a little bit transparent, not making promises you don't intend to keep. And then did you have the all boats rise with the tide conversation? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually allowed them to get all the upside without the risk. That was probably, I would say looking back, maybe something I would do a little different is I was taking all that risk myself and trying to shelter everybody from that risk. But one thing that I did with that was always transparent. So as you were talking a few minutes ago about, you know, just the team and being transparent, that kind of stuff and sharing in the vision, all that stuff. Those are people that actually knew that actually wanted to support me and my goals as well, was that when I was being honest with them, sharing the mission, the vision, and they had those questions came up naturally, like, what's in it for me? Well, I took it upon myself. We were small enough at the time and I was nimble enough and strong enough at the time that I could do it for a few people. And yeah, very transparent, high tides raise all boats, but they didn't have any risk with the downside. So that was a huge risk is making sure these are the right people um, that inevitably made sure that I was constantly focused on making sure they were successed. So you took care of your team first. And probably paid a lot of people first for a little while. Is that right? Correct. So the next thing I'd love to know then, you you made it work. You got the team together. You had to shake some trees. You know, you had to start where you stood, including doing what you could. What I, This is how I like to word it. Do what you can where you are with what you have. Because yeah. you can come up with all the things you don't have. Yeah. But uh, in the minimalist CEO method, what I tell people is, what do you have? What right. can you do to help someone? It's all about helping systems. And I find some of an important ingredient is fascination with the people you can help and having that constant hunger to find out where are you underserved? Absolutely. Where is something missing? Now, was that an ingredient for you 
in uh, choosing to branch out into these other areas of construction and also manufacturing? Yeah. So with one of the things that I, from a kind of going back a little bit of our growth model here is, you know, construction is a very noisy. It's a very competitive market. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of different ways to make money, many different facets. First thing we have to do is look at what is our lane and how do we define what opportunities we're going after? So that discipline, and then again, those four values that fall in that. We want to be the best at what we are in the lane we choose to stay in. With that, we then had to ship, we were taking those deals with anybody and everybody who would give them to us, which we were still having problems. So another iteration of learning was, well, what kind of customers do we want to work with? Mm. So we've gotten it figured out that our portfolio of clients is not necessarily all about how many clients that we have, but the clients that we have cultivated really see an opportunity for our service. We see an opportunity to help them grow where they are underserved as an organization. Mm. And we sort of become their outsourced department in our respective businesses. So, you know, we'll always serve them best where they come into us, whatever storefront it is, uh, whether it's real estate. And then inherently when we pass the baton to the next department, which is construction, you know, we're positioned well with their interest in mind and they, we can help them in those areas. So the relationships tend to grow very naturally and very organically. So we don't have a lot of customers per se, but the customers that we have, we like to take care of each other. So that makes sense. So you did it because it was helpful and they were asking for it and you had the knowledge and the experience and the capability. You got it. You got it. So it's not just about diversifying. It's, and I think that's a common mistake is actually losing focus. It was asking how may I serve and really listen. Yes, yes correct. And also not, not being afraid to say no. I mean, there, there are many conversations where, you know, we're just, can we do it? Sure. But we're not going to be the best fit and having those open, honest conversations despite looking at a potential contract in your hands and saying, Hey, this one's not worth it for us. We're not going to serve you as we as we best can. And, and that honesty is important too in any relationship. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the strength to say no is it creates, it garners respect in a new client relationship because we're hiring our clients too. Yes. We're hiring them to be part of, to participate in the dance of solving their problems. And I think that's really important. That's a good insight. I mean, I, I noticed a theme here with successful business owners and entrepreneurs. There's that moment where they, you know, these little flashes of genius, like there's going to be a time where, where less is better. And there's going to be a time where the better you filter the people you work with, the more time you spend on the people you want. And it's like marketing. I tell people, if you can slide around on the other side of the table and have the, you know, sit in the truth with the person you're looking to work with and really discover what they want, what they need, where they're underserved, then together you can find the solution even if it means that working with you isn't the answer, I think that cultivates trust. And I've actually gotten tons of referrals from people I've said no to. Yeah. Like, oh, I know we weren't a match, but here's someone that you should talk to. So that leads me to, you grew your business to over a million dollars a year. I don't even know where you are right now, but I would say that it looks like you've done an impressive over $500 million in projects at this point, which is just a, a crazy number. So what are some of the things that you did to go from, hey, I've got a business idea. Hey, I built a team to boom, I've done half a billion dollars in projects. Yeah, well, it's funny because you start totaling up the numbers and you realize like, holy cow, have we really done that much? And again, as I mentioned earlier, the, this compounding exponential growth, I mean, again, our, our growth rate last year, capitalized annualized growth rate was 2,600%. And it's been pretty steady at that for the last four or five years. But again, the deals, the deals get complex, but it's not about the deals per se, it's about serving your clients. And it's about, when our business specifically you know, we uh, get really good at what we do. So one of the reasons why BHRS companies has distinct yet complementary business units is 
you know, we essentially have three businesses in one. So when the uh, opportunity comes down the pipeline, if you will, we have an opportunity to shift it like Plinko into the compartment it needs to go to, who's going to service that business as needed at that time. And that grows. And then once that business unit's done with it, then there may be another one for that. There may be a cross-selling opportunity, but inherently, again, it just, it just has gotten legs and it works. So do you have people on your team? I, I look at the three major pieces, the linchpins in growing a business, lead acquisition, you know, lead conversion, the sales enrollment process, getting people yeah. into your business and, and the cash flow part, and then production capability, max capacity. At what point is, you know, have you hit that threshold? Can't deliver anymore until we move the needle down, move the little dot down and say, hey, need new person to do new function yeah. or expanding a team. So could you help me understand that a little bit? Like, do you have a team completely focused on those three pieces? Like, hey, we're going to run and grow and scale the team. We're going to focus on sales. We're going to focus on lead acquisition. Yeah, this year, again, coming into 2020 in itself, as everybody is aware of the challenges 2020 faces, but every year I come out with a strategic growth plan. And that growth plan is not only the following the, that following year, but also two and a five-year plan. Ten years out, you start getting a little fuzzy, but you got a pretty good idea where we're going. And 2020 has had its challenges. So coming into 2019, just to your point, we try to, I try to run the business at 100 to 120% occupancy at all time, capacity at all time. And that allows us to organically grow by backfilling that revenue to, to create those positions. So what's been really a blessing in disguise this year is we're a little bit overstaffed for right now, I think, where we need to be because we're only running about 80% this year to what we were last year. Mm -hmm. um, all things being considered, 2020, 2019, year over year, I think is pretty decent compared to some other businesses. Um, and I'm okay with that. But we wanted to keep the team and we shift focus earlier this year to infrastructure. So this year has been really taking the opportunity with a couple of extra hands on deck to identify the, what we call the lanes, who's doing what, the seat on the bus, if you will. Your job is this, your job is that, and really this year focus on doing that. And then developing those little mini teams, those committees, those subcommittees. So. In short, yeah, from the top down, we have an operations department and each business has its own operations department. Each business has its own sales department. Each business has its own administrative department. But how do we bring those together to, to um, align with BHRS as a brand? But how do we make sure that each individual business unit is running independently so not one is not hurting over the other? But this year, it's been just that. It's, it's the, 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 the dot dropped a little bit this year with respect to Target. The opportunity I was faced with was, do we let people go? No, it's not right. Uh, it's not their fault. We didn't make bad business decisions. And let's take this opportunity. We're in a nice position, healthy enough to continue to develop the team, develop so we can come back stronger next year. And by having that infrastructure in place, I think we're already starting to see the benefits coming into Q4 now, 2020, and positioning ourselves nicely for next year that uh, we're actually getting ready to put, I am at about seven or eight requisitions we're putting out for hire, a new acquisition to be created to help sustain our growth. So the gamble is hopefully it all works out as planned, but focusing on the team and the infrastructure has certainly been what's needed to, to fuel the growth. So do you have people exclusively, exclusively focused on marketing and a team for that exclusively focusing on sales? Yes. Exclusively focusing on operations and team management. Yeah. We outsource some positions, uh, but our core team of uh, employees in-house that work for us, uh, our team members uh, are focused on those things that we can control. And then we outsource many things from accounting, finance, legal, marketing, but everybody's, that's what they do. Marketing guy markets, legal team legals, and finance guys finances. So we grow on our business. 
So uh, one of the things I talk about with Men's CEO, and I'm, I'm listening to your talk, and I'm thinking like you, you clearly have an understanding of the pieces and parts of your business. You can see it from a mile up. You can go and attack and improve a certain area. One thing we talk about is ideal business experience and ideal client experience. So thinking through and saying what's essential, what can we improve, and what needs to go, you know, it's add, it's edit or enhance or delete. And usually delete's like one of the bigger winners. But at the beginning of that is a roles and goals function. You talked about staying in your lane, understanding the lanes. You know, it's an organizational strategy. So what is your gift? So everyone, it's like, you got to have the thing that this is the place that you love. It's where you play the best. It's where your time and talent are the best and highest, best applied. What is that for you? God, I think my wife would uh, disagree with me, but uh, I think if I had to look at it, I've, I've been, um, I think my skills has, has been on team development and just managing uh, growth. And that was an opportunity where in school and, and, and working in the enterprise world has helped me appreciate that today with being able to put the right people and teams together to grow. But team development and putting the right team together is clearly something I've developed a pretty good skill at. So there's companies I talk to then since you're in that role and you think you think of that as your big gifts, which is great because I mean, what a shame to be for you out to be doing all the business development when you could teach or train, put a team in place to do that. So you can focus on building the team. Super important. So I talk to people in the construction space, the restoration space, small home services, even small legal practices, self-care, you name it. And the, the common thing that I hear, especially when it comes to where there's work being done out in the field and there's people in the office and there's that separation is we get a cash flow crunch, but we have plenty of business. So we look at margins and sure. we, we look at timing and we look at projects that need to be you know, filtered out, like maybe say no to this in the future. What do you say to someone who's very good as an owner at business development and relationships, but doesn't have the cash flow to put the project manager or the estimator or the business development director in place? And they sort of have that as their mantra, sort of the pre-million dollars a year model. Yeah. It all falls back on them until they burn out. So what would you tell that person is an essential step or a mindset or a shift they need to make to get over that hump? So that's an interesting question and dilemma that obviously in that particular industry is, is always, I think, the biggest struggle is cash flow. My best advice would be you have to know. So as I, said, I think I even said earlier, the easiest part about construction is hammer and nails. Many business owners get into the business because they want, they know that trade, right? They know I want to be a lawyer because I know law, but what they lack is the team building and they also lack the business acumen. So if you're in the business of construction, the business of law, the business of healthcare, whatever your business is, you have to fundamentally know business. Mm. And I think if you're going to get into the business of that, you have to recognize your strength as the maybe the provider, the field, the PM, the seller, the uh, supervisor, all those things. But if you're struggling with those cash flow issues, perhaps there's an opportunity to go back and maybe educate yourself a little bit on business too, because you can take a step back and that to me is a couple things. One, you may not be charging enough. You may not value your time. You may not understand all the components that you could be charging for. There's opportunity, mm. but also it's not just about charging for them. It's about if you're charging a customer for a good or a service and you're saying you're going to add the value by doing these things, well, you need to have those things in place. Mm. So if you need a PM and you need a superintendent and that's going to help you do your job better, ask for it, sell it, run the business to have those things. So it being disciplined, I think, with business acumen and, and using your money uh, as, as a tool, as you would a hammer and nails. That's, I think it's brilliant advice. I love how you said here, ask for it. 
So the idea then that that person in that situation, you would tell them, put that into your estimate. Yes. You know, what you're doing consulting to do the estimate. Yeah. So you're doing estimating, which is including consulting. It's including field work, maybe photos, project management, maybe uh, uh, materialist procurement. Those are all items that can be on your total bill that if they're not done correctly, could easily demonstrate in the sales process that the project may not be the project that you want when the outcome is, you know, shows up that day. That's correct. So that's what you said. It's, it's about knowing your lane. And sometimes I think the biggest disconnect, particularly in, in many industries, but is you're trying to sell the wrong thing. So not like too many sayings here, but to be a good buyer, to be a good seller, you got to understand buying, right? So you're trying to sell the wrong good to the wrong person. So if you're trying to sell a product and, and you're on the recipient and you're, I don't have enough on your end, well, of course they're going to take you because you're underselling it. So maybe you need to go to a different pasture there and sell a product to a customer better aligned with your services. So I think the big miscommunication is people don't understand their own value of what they're doing. You hit on a really big point, value your time. And I think one thing that that points to is I think with all of those moments where we get the jobs done. I look back when I started a business and it's like, I got the team, I got the sale made, everything's going and then everything settles out and there's virtually nothing left for me. Yeah. But it's, it's funny because I don't think human nature says, well, what did I do to make this work? And how do I charge for that? So you have a moment where you came face to face with that early in the game where you'd finish projects and be like, why isn't there anything left for me? Oh, countless. There are countless projects like that. Could you expand on that a little bit? And because I think that's a, that's a telling moment. Because that, that's a moment where you had to look back, say, what happened and how am I going to fix it? So could you, could you share a little bit? Maybe tell us. I, I remember our first full year, our first half of our first full year of business after I made Leap of Faith, we had flipped in the process of 26 houses. We're now strictly non residential. But at the time, again, as I mentioned, we would take revenue and deals from anywhere we could get revenue. At the end of this, we were going, I was going so fast. Me and my two guys at the time, we were every day, all day, 10 hours a day. And then at the end of it, six months, I said, let's run some numbers here. And at the time, or even our accounting software was rudimentary. So I didn't even have the insight into it. Mm-hmm. And I looked back and I was like, we've lost money in six months. And I still hadn't taken a salary yet. I didn't take any income out of the business yet. And I was like, this is not sustainable. And we legit went to the owners and said, hey, we appreciate all the business, but thanks, but no thanks, we're done. Mm-hmm. And that was a big scary moment because here we now we actually have revenue. We have this, but I'm like, I'm about to walk away from all this. How are we going to replace it? Mm-hmm. So that was the aha moment where you look at the cash burn rate. You know, again, luckily I was in a position where I had positioned myself to minimize my personal expenses. Still didn't have a revenue, but I had some savings account and credit cards living on. They, I got a definitive time where I know they're going to run out. And it was like, something's got to change. That's a scary so, moment. We've all been there. Like, did I make the right choice? Yeah. Um, and we're 18 months into this game now. So, and I'm counting the days. So it, it really is, you know, with the need for survival, I think is when you get really creative and that's when kind of desperation can kind of kick in. But being aware of your emotions too, that, hey, this is desperate, but you can't pass on to your customer. It's not their problem. So it took some really good opportunities for us to get out there and be real with ourselves. Look at that business model. Hey, are we running a good business? No, we were. We wouldn't be uh, losing money. Mm-hmm. So we realigned ourselves and went back to market, kind of a relaunch, if you will, and took what we learned. And all of a sudden, new contracts, new opportunities started coming in because we had asked for them. So uh, if I were to sum up what you said, and tell me if I'm right. This is a case of where is your value? Bring it to the people who see that value. Make sure you're getting the value that your project is worth. 
And being busy, keeping your team busy, having the juice and that excitement of a sale doesn't mean you're in business. It means you're That's right. That's right. That's yeah. right. Business is not like yeah, business <laughs> is not productive. No, it's not. This has been great. I think that's a huge insight. And I know right out of the gate from the questions and the emails that we get from our listeners that, um, and several of the clients who I've worked with over the years are going to hear this and be like, yeah, that is really helpful advice. The idea of valuing your time. And I think also packaging up the value, it, it allows you to have a distinction, have a differentiator that shows the, the value that you're bringing to it. And a lot of times, you know, you're moving outside of that chuck in a truck construction service that says, hey, I'm a preferred vendor for this bigger company. I'm going to do whatever they ask. Look, I'm busy. Instead, you're going to say, listen, I'm valuable. I have a product. You know, there's something I'm going to bring that other people can't, and I'm going to get paid a reasonable fee for a very good service. So huge insights, Brandon. You're obviously out there doing a good job in the market. And what I'd love to know real quick, the, you know, because we only have just uh, one more minute left. What is the piece of advice that you could put on a billboard? I'm going to borrow this from Tim Ferriss because I'm a, a fan <laughs> of his work, what would you put on a billboard if you, and now here's the trick, that you would tell anyone in the service business space to cut away, don't do this. You're going to put it on a billboard. The whole world's going to see it. Wow. What would you cut away in a service cut business? Cut away. I would say cut away the BS and be efficient, be smart, add value for your clients. Listen so to your clients. Billboard. Cut away the BS. Give your clients what they want. Okay. So the big story, <laughs> that's what I call the BS, the big story. That's right. Okay. Stop the BS and serve your client. Something. Yeah. To Listen to them, give them what they want. Listen to your clients and they'll tell you what they want and stop trying to necessarily sell your service and your service will sell itself. There's a reason why they contacted you. Well, but you know, hashtag fascination. Um, I think when you're fascinated with your clients, you create something that's so special to them that you start to head down the path of eliminating competition. Because I think building a helping system with fascination is pretty rare. Yeah, I'll compete without competing. Absolutely. That's awesome. I love it. So uh, the P, what'd you say? The P without competing? We got, we got to learn. That's how we compete without competing. <laughs> I was like, where's he going with this? That's yeah. awesome. Brandon, this has been a great interview. I really appreciate the time. Uh, again, what you shared, I think, have been great insights for people who are in the, in the small service space. Ladies and gentlemen, Brandon Hurd, thank you, Brandon, uh, for being on the Minimalist CEO podcast. I super appreciate it. My pleasure. Had a lot of fun. Thanks again. This is good. Our, our audience is going gonna, is gonna to benefit from this. If people want to reach out and get in touch with you, what's the best place? We're obviously going to put information on your website and stuff like that. I know you're the founder and managing director of the BHRS company, so we'll have the link to the website for the company. But where else can people find you? Is there anything else that you would you'd like to share about how to get in touch? If they have questions. Sure, you can check out our social media. Um, check out my LinkedIn profile. It's a really good way. I stay a lot of in touch with a lot of professionals through that platform. Uh, you can look me up there, Brandon Hurd. Shoot me an email. Our contact information is on that uh, page. Direct message me or send me an email, and I'm happy to help and consult and offer any advice. If you find any value in my words, happy to help. Yeah, well, as long as I don't hand you a hammer, right? That's right. <laughs> no one called to ask you to swing a hammer. Brandon, thanks again. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for being a part of the Minimalist CEO. Again, I'm Nathan Quist with the Minimalist CEO podcast. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for joining us.